Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We got Dana Jones with us here today. Dana has a couple uh, projects in the works, but uh, you can find him at danatjones.com. Uh, got a lot of great content there. But he also is the one of the founders of ePlanet Mortgage. So I'll also make sure that ha- link is in the show notes. But really appreciate your time here, Dana, as we're talking about your personal real estate investing. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you as well. Yeah, no, I appreciate your time. So it's been interesting because you're talking about, before we hit record, the, the Burr method and subject to, but you're you're on both ends of the of the coast here. You're primarily investing in Baltimore, Maryland, but you're in California. Let's start there. How did you decide that market? Okay, well, I decided that market because I'm actually from Baltimore, Maryland, so I moved to California um, like 11 years ago. I moved to L.A. And moving over here, I see that the real estate is like is, is rather expensive, but is I mean, it's a twofold court. So it's, it's pretty expensive. But when you buy a property over here in California, it appreciates super duper fast. But when you buy it in Baltimore, you buy it at a lower level. But the rents, the rents are like much higher, pretty much. And then I love the Baltimore market because you figure you have Baltimore. Um, say, for instance, you get a property in Baltimore for 300000 you go up the road maybe like 45 minutes and you're in Washington, D.C. So that same property in Baltimore that's 300000 in Washington, D.C. is 750000 You get on a train, you go up to New York, and it's like two and a half hours away, and it's like $1.2 million. So it's almost like Baltimore is kind of like a no-brainer because you have a lot of people that's coming from Washington, D.C., and then they're migrating to Baltimore because they have the government jobs in D.C., but they can actually get paid more there and they can like, you know, live a little less expensive in Baltimore, which is actually raising the prices up in the property and the real estate. Sure. You know, somewhere I read that you, you started, is it fair to say you started real estate investing with a, with a car park or something like that? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. I actually started real estate investing because I had a car dealership when I was living back in Baltimore. Oh, so the way okay. I looked at it was, um, you know, I would sell my cars when the market was super duper hot. So I would sell a lot of cars and then I would just go buy um, buy a property in the inner city cash. So I would renovate that property, get that property fixed up, get it on the market, sell that, then buy more cars. So I was kind of like flip-flopping. I would take my car money to buy houses and then sell the houses and then buy more cars. So selling a car was like living my everyday money. And when mm-hmm. I sold a property, that would just be my investment for like long-term and longevity. Sure. Okay, that's just interesting how you've uh, how you came about real estate investing. So when when you were doing that, moving back and forth, were you doing a lot of the renovation yourself, or were you building a team even even in those early stages? I mean, <laughs> well, it's funny. I mean, when I first started my first property, I'm like, wow, I did do that all on my own. But it's like, man, I made a lot of um, like blunders and things of that nature. I made a lot of mistakes because you know I would go to Home Depot and see the guys sitting out there and I would ask them, you know, bring them along in a house and have them to help renovate the property. But it's like, <laughs> you know, I, I think I bought my first property for like 50 grand. And by the time I sold it, I might have lost maybe like 10 or 15,000. So then once I kind of like start getting into it, you know, and I had another buddy that was in the car industry that was already into real estate, you know, he said, man, I've been doing that, 
you know, like for like a while. So I actually paid him some money to to be my mentor. So I actually called myself as paying a mentor. I like paid myself forward. So for the extra hurdles or mistakes I would have made, I kind of stopped him. So once I paid him to be my mentor, it helped out a whole lot. So my next property, I probably I think I paid like 80,000 for it put 40,000 in renovation. So I was at like 120, but I actually made maybe like $60,000 on that property. Mm-hmm. So it helped out a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing how much faster you can move when you have the proper guidance, isn't it? Man, man, that's everything. Because like I said, you know, you can try to do things on your own because, you know, I, I, you know, I consider myself to be a small individual, but when I stepped into the real estate realm, it was something different from the car realm. So I figured, you know, you know, cars, cars and houses are like the same thing, but it's like, it was a certain other little tweaks and turns that I did not know. But like you said, once I had that, 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 that mentor help out, it's like, man, you know, I could have learned it on my own and it probably would have took maybe like one year, anywhere from like one or two years to learn it. But once I actually got him involved, it actually, man, I got in like six months. And then not only did I learn it in six months, he actually showed me a lot of tips and tricks that, you know, to help me out just to where I'm at now, pretty much. Sure. So today, are you still doing fix and flipping or is that your, is that still a focus? Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, right now I'm still doing like virtual, I guess you can call it like virtual fix and flipping because you figure um, I still live in California. I still buy a lot of property over there in Baltimore. And over there I have like three crews. So, you know, you have the three crews, they do what they do with the general contract and also have like a project manager. So, you know, the general contract, he watches over the crew for all the everyday necessities that they do. And everybody needs to report back to the project manager that, we, that way to, you know, we make sure that we're on a certain time frame. We don't go over budget and all that good stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I'm still doing it because you figure if you look behind me, you know, we have e-plan and mortgage as far as the mortgage company and as far as the real estate. I mean, I believe that's the way of the world. And I also do believe that the real estate is like my stock market. So, you know, I invest a little bit of here and there in the stock market, but real estate is my stock market. You mentioned a general contractor and a project manager. Do they both work directly for you or are these just uh, contractors that you've you've built relationships with? Yeah, well, the general contractors are actually contractors that I built relationship with, but the project manager actually does work for me. So, you know, he actually keeps my best interests um, in mind and at heart at all times, pretty much. And a funny thing about the project manager is I actually, you know, I give him like um, I guess you would say like a bonus. So, you know, if you keep every, if you keep the project like under, then you get a bonus on that. And if we complete the project in a due time, then you'll also get a bonus on that. So that keeps everything working pretty good and actually keeps me to sleep, sleep good at night. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's, it, that's just it's such an important a- aspect of your business. Then you got this project manager that works directly and reports directly to you and you're holding that person accountable. How did you go about first deciding whether you needed a project manager and what was the process in finding somebody that you can count on and rely on to that level? Yeah, well, um, like I said, um, one thing that helped me get that project manager was my mentor. So like I said, I always thought that I just needed a general contractor. You know, you get a general contractor, they do the job and then you pay them. But then he said, no, I'm telling you. Dana, I still see that you're still a little bit hands on. So even though you have the general contractors that you that you that you trust, you know, um, you're still kind of losing because you're losing your time. And, and your time is one thing that you can't get back. So for the project managers, I actually kind of like went on Google um, and like, you know, searched around like project managers and all that in the area. And I, I interviewed like a good like two or three of them. And then I found somebody that I kind of built a good rapport with and a good trust. And, I, and they had like like minded spirits with me. So that's mm-hmm. how I kind of chose that guy. 
Yeah. It's, you, forgive me for spending so much time on this, but it's really interesting. Uh, the, the focus you have there regarding having that project manager. So you mentioned bonusing them in, in a way in which to incentivize them. How do you incentivize them today in order to, is it regarding project completion or what, how does that look? Yeah, it's, it's all about project completion. So say, for instance, um, I know I just got a property recently over there um, for like 150000 The uh, renovation budget on that is like 120000 So you have like two seventy. Once it's all said and done, it's going to be worth like four hundred grand. So pretty much um, the, the time frame on that is four months. So it's, it's a four-month time frame. The project manager gets paid. But if we actually complete it, you know, like a week, a week earlier, <laughs> then, you know, he'll get a bonus on that. And then I pay, I pay out in four draws and like a four draw process. So, you know, like I said, the budget is 120,000. If he actually stays below the budget in those four draws, he's actually going to get a bonus as well, or he's going to get incentivized for that pretty much. Because a lot of times when you're dealing with general contractors, you know, you might have a budget of 120,000, but then once he once they start tearing down the walls and all this stuff, say, I didn't know what was behind the walls. So what you thought was 120,000 now turns out to be like 135,000. It can easily, easily be 140,000. Sure. So he actually, so you know, does, so I don't mind incentivizing him because he actually keeping an extra 15 or 20,000 in my pocket that if he wasn't there, I would go over the budget. So why not incentivize him and give him like an extra 5,000 for it? That's how I look at it pretty much. So does your project manager, is are they involved in the acquisition at all? Yeah, some of the prop. Yeah, some of the properties they are involved in acquisition because you figure um, they have to look at it and say, "Hey, this is going to be an easy job, or this might be a hard job." Pretty much. So yeah, they're like, yeah, they're super duper hands on, and we get like a lot of mark. We get a, like a lot of properties that's off market and things of that nature as well. Sure. So uh, then, does the project manager go through and essentially do a, sca- a scope of work and? the timeline and gives you feedback as to the length of the project and everything. And do they, they, I'm guessing they're the ones who coordinate with the contractors, including the general contractor, get that all done. (laughs) Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah. They actually do that. So whenever we find a new property that we're going to inquire, the project manager does meet with the um, general contractor. They go over, they do the scope of work and then, you know, they just make sure that we, we stay on budget pretty much. And like I said, they are, I mean, <laughs> he's a true like catalyst to my team pretty much. He's like the anchor because, you know, without a good project manager, then like I said, everything would be scattered. And then I would kind of find myself going back and forth, flying from Los Angeles to Baltimore and and, and then and so on and so on. Right. Well, it, so uh, you're reliant so heavily on this one person. Have you done anything for contingencies in case that person leaves or well um in, in case you, yeah and that's a good question because you know sometimes people say well hold up i'm doing all this for dane i can actually be doing this on my own so yeah i do kind of rely on him a whole lot but in every like aspect of it i'm still kind of like a little bit like involved so in anything in life you always do have like a plan b and things of that nature pretty much so i also have like another project manager that I have doing like little small projects. So therefore right there, you can always kind of scale your business up. You can always like have it away as though you can kind of like replace a person if need be. Right now. And I see you have traction uh, on your shelf there. He's going to be, if you're sticking to that kind of strategy, I'm sure there's a lot of redundancies, including documentation so that you're prepared in the, in the inevitable. I mean, something always happens eventually, right? 
Yeah, I'm telling you, that's one thing about life, though. And life, I mean, is always going to be something. So, you know, even how me and you right now, we're having this podcast, we're talking like via <laughs> via microphone, via, you know, via the Internet. So it's almost like we didn't foresee this like years ago. So you have to be like you have to be willing to like adapt to change because change is always bound to come any and every day. Right. So one of the things that I think is also interesting is that you were, we were just talking about life changes. Well, one thing that life changes is when it comes to the sellers, right? There, there's, they're getting in trouble. And as, as you've talked about, one of your special specialization is the subject to concept oh, yeah, and yeah, helping yeah, these yeah. individuals out. Can you talk a little bit of that? I'm sure subject two is actually something we don't talk about very often. And, and uh, I think uh, there's a lot of myths associated with it. Oh, yeah. Okay. So subject two, that's a pretty great strategy that we've been implementing um, lately because you figure right now we're in like crazy times, you know, with the um, with 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 um, inflation and all that inflation, gas is going up, um, you know, oil prices are super duper high. I mean, that's gas. <laughs> yeah. You go get eggs, the real estate, you know. So, I mean, as everything goes up, it's kind of like your paycheck either stays the same or sometimes it goes down. So what we've been doing for, for subject two, we've been actually helping homeowners who've been going through like financial hardships, such as going through a foreclosure and things of that nature. We've been actually actually been able to stop the foreclosure process so we can actually get the homeowner caught up. And if the homeowner didn't want to stay in home or anything like that, we would get the property like subject to pretty much. So we can actually give them funds to, you know, get another property so they don't have to go through the foreclosure and mess their credit up or anything like that. And then we would actually take over their payments so we can. You know, how about because it's all about, you know, I believe that the blessings truly come when you actually help another individual. Out. That's what we put on this earth for to actually help and um, help plant a great seed and just be a blessing to others. And the Lord is always going to bless us. So that's how we do it on subject two. Sure. So the subject two documents can be vary by state. So if you're questioning if this is a strategy for you, probably want to talk to a local lawyer regarding that. But how has that process worked for you? Have you done it in? California and Maryland at this point? Is that, as have you had any issues? No, no, I haven't had any issues. Um, I actually did subject two. I did a couple of subject two properties over here in California. I do a lot over there in Maryland. Um, I did a few in Tennessee and also a lot in a couple in like Atlanta, Georgia as well. So over there, like I said, um, you know, like you said, pretty much you just have to have a good real estate attorney. And one thing about this real estate is, you know, I just go through all the steps that my mentor taught me. So now actually I'm trying to, you know, be a blessing and give back as well. So I have like a couple mentees that I'm actually helping out in the subject too, as well too, and just walking them through the process um, from like A to Z. So, you know, my real estate attorney, I paid him like a lot of money for these documents. And it's like, it's everything though, because you figure if you have one little thing wrong, then it could be like a lawsuit or something crazy that can kind of like hinder you or just hurt you um, in the future. Right. So what is one of the things that you've uh, learned in the process so far that you've had to iron out? You say what, um, as far as um, regarding the subject too, because I'm guessing that a lot of the people that you're even talking to, this would be probably a pretty new concept. So you might even have to educate the seller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I say, we just educate the seller because, you know, like, so the seller is like, so say for instance, a seller may be behind um, like three or four mortgage payments. So then they're behind like three or four mortgage payments. And they say, hey, Dana, how is it going to be guaranteed or how are you going to like, how are you going to like pay my mortgage payments if I'm already like behind? 
um, what's the guarantee that you just, you know, you just don't do the subject to and then we switch everything over and you don't pay it. I say, well, okay. Um, if I just gave you $30,000 <laughs> I actually, you know, might've gave you like, you know, I gave you 30,000 and then, you know, everything might've been behind like another 12,000. That's 42,000. I don't think that a person would put $42,000 down not to catch up on the rest of the payments and not to see that you're, o that you're a okay and that your credit is okay and that you can continue to have a great life. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the proof is pretty much in a pudding when it comes there. So we're not like getting properties like subject to with no money down. We're actually coming out, you know, with some sort of skin in the game. So for, for the most part, just so that I'm clear is that when you do a subject to with a, with a seller, they're likely moving on to a different place and you're going to take it over, rehab it, do what you need to, to, are you flipping it? Are you turning it into a rental? What's the exit strategy there? Man, I'll tell you one thing about real estate. It just depends with the properties. So some of them we are flipping them. Um, some of them is a long-term rental, and then it depends on if it's like if it's like near college or near a hospital or something like that. Then we're also doing like Airbnb, so we're doing like short-term rentals. So it's a mm -hmm. different strategy for where the property is, and then yeah, and that's about pretty much it. And then some of the subject twos is, is a funny thing about it is we're actually you know like I said. We do some ways that we might help the homeowner catch up on their payments. And then we've done a couple of subject twos where the property has been free and clear. And a the person, they just wanted like, you know, like say, for instance, um, it was one it was one example. I think the guy, he wanted like one hundred and fifty grand for his house. The market didn't call for one hundred and fifty grand was maybe like birth, like a like every bit of like one hundred and twenty thousand. But mm -hmm. I've seen that that was a great area for the short term rental. So we went on and did the subject two or the seller financing for that per se for the 150,000, because I saw what we were going to make off of the short-term rental in the Airbnb process. Right. Well, you got seem to have a lot going on right now regarding whether it's the subject to you're, you're investing in multiple States. You've, you've mentioned Baltimore, California, and now you threw in Georgia there at the end. You're where, how are you funding all of this activity right now? Well, um, I'm funding them through like hard money lenders. Well, actually, I started off with hard money lenders, but then I switched over to what we call like private money lenders. So that's a great question right there. Thank you for that. So as far as the private money lenders, we've been saying like, you know, like I said, right now with inflation going up super duper high, I kind of like use this example as a terminology. So say, for instance, you have like $100,000 in a bank. At the end of the year, you know, you might have like a hundred thousand, two hundred dollars. <laughs> so it's like you kind of get like no return on your investment. Your money is sitting there, you know, it's not making anything for you. But with my private money lenders, I've been offering them like a twelve percent return on their investment. So if they were to invest a hundred thousand dollars in the property, at the end of the year they would get like twelve thousand dollars. So it would be a hundred and twelve thousand dollars they would receive at the end of the year. So. That's what I've been doing. I've been raising like a lot of private capital and just showing people, you know, the money that's been sitting in their 401k, you know, you might have like a doctor, a lawyer, just so many different ways and so many different strategies that people can actually tap into their funds instead of it just sitting there in the bank, not making anything. Now I can actually show them how to put it into real estate, which is a tangible asset that's going to actually help them help them out in life. Right. So when you, when you do this, are you doing a private investor per property? And uh, how does that, or is, this isn't a syndication at all, right? It's, it's, uh, 
Yeah, um, no, it's not a syndication. So I do like a private, so I might do like a private money lender per property, or or even if it's like a big project and it has to happen to be like two or three private money lenders, they would just be in like certain positions. So one would be on the first lien position, the um, second lender would be on the second position, the third lender would be on the third position. So we actually can have three private money lenders onto one property as well. And then, right. the and then the beautiful thing about being a private money lender, because I, I mean, like I said, I equivalent real estate to be like my stock market. So say, for instance, you know, we come on and say, hey, um, you know, Tesla, I'm just using Tesla. Well, you know, I'm just using them for example, but it was a, a problem with the chip in Tesla. And just say, for instance, their stock was at like $50 a share and you had like 100000 you had like $100,000 in a Tesla stock. If you came on and made a big announcement, your hundred thousand dollars could just drop to like sixty thousand dollars overnight because we see how volatile the stock market has been. But with real mm -hmm. estate as a tangible asset and then a private money lender, you're on the note, you're on a deed, and you also have a lender's policy. So you're getting a 12% return on your investment, no matter if the stock market goes up or goes down, it's invested in real estate. <laughs> That's right. a beautiful thing. Sure. No, it's just interesting uh, that you're you're doing this level. I mean, there's you have, like I said, you have a lot going on. When you go in back to the project manager, is that one project man manager? I, I believe you mentioned they're in Baltimore. Are they also managing the other projects that you might have got you have going on in the other states, or do you have boots on the ground in those states as well? Now, um, I have boots in the ground in all in all the states that I name, but I also do have a project manager in all those states as well, pretty much, because it's like, like I said, without a project manager, you know, is it can kind of get a little testy because you may have like a general contractor and they may start your job. And they say, okay, okay, it's going to take three months. So they'll start your job. And then some general contractors, as they're like, you know, as they're like midway through the job, they might take on other jobs. But if you don't have the project manager there to kind of keep everything situated and keep them on schedule, then it's going to kind of be like like mayhem or chaos pretty much. No, this is a really a great lesson from you, Dana, the, the concept of a project manager, because we get into real estate investing. And you mentioned early on, you you kind of fell into that as well. I, I mean, I think we all do. We get kind of caught up in the hustle and bustle of, of real estate investing. And, and frankly, it turns into another time sucking job instead of doing what we've planned it to do, which is to, is not only provide us financial freedom, but to get us back some of our time. And that typically isn't what actually ends up happening. Man, time is everything. Like you said, that's one thing that you can get back. So the more that you and, and then I guess that's why I do have like a project manager, because the more that you can kind of get things done and you can, like you said, have your time back, the better off or the longer your reach can be. So even with my mortgage company, we have here ePlanet Mortgage. Uh, we have a couple of loan officers and we also have processes. So actually in that. So like a project manager and a real estate investing standpoint would be my processor. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you're only going to be as strong as your processor. So if you have your processors as handling all the paperwork and all that good stuff, then that allows you to go out to go to like lunch and learns, you know, go and do other events to bring like other mortgage clients in and all that good stuff. And then, you know, if you have like a good mortgage team, you can actually have that business afloat while you can actually look at and invest in more real estate. Right. Mm -hmm. So you you brought up your ePlanet mortgage a couple of times since you're using private money to to fund some of these uh, deals. How does the ePlanet mortgage work? Okay. Well, ePlanet mortgage. So ePlanet mortgage, that's a mortgage company. So that's not a real estate investor company. So mm -hmm. with that, we are. Um, oh yeah. And I'm going to tell you the states we're licensed in. So we're licensed in California, 
Maryland, Georgia, Texas, Florida, and we're also in the process of being licensed in Detroit. But with ePlan and Mortgage, we're like a direct lender. So we have like our own warehouse line. So for like conventional projects, I mean, products and conventional loans, FHA, VA, those loans right there, we actually fund those loans ourselves. Okay. So that's like, that's something different than a private money. The private money, that's for my sector right there where I'm doing real estate investing. And ePlan and Mortgage, that's the mortgage company to actually help a homeowner or actually have a homeowner purchase or actually refinance their property. So is ePlanet uh, a broker? So ePlanet, we're a broker when it comes to um, what we call these like non-QM loans. So sure. we're brokers when it comes to like non-QM loans or hard money loan for fix and flip and things of that nature. But like I said, we're actually private money lenders when it comes to like a VA loan, an FHA loan or a conventional loan. Then it's actually we're the direct lender. So when you do the loan, it's going to have ePlanet mortgage right there on your documents. Okay, Awesome. Well, I appreciate this conversation, Dana, and I'm just going to direct everybody one more time to DanaTJones.com. And uh, Dana, I kind of warned you, I have some rapid fire questions for you if you're ready for them. Let's go, baby. So we've all heard a bunch of real estate investing myths and, and I, I, you know, late night TV, there's always the, the infomercials saying that you can get into real, real estate with no money down or it's a get rich quick concept. What is one real estate in investing myth you'd like to bust right now? Oh man. I mean, I guess you just said, um, you can get into real estate with like no money down and you can, you know, <laughs> you can wake up, um, no money down and make a million dollars in like a year. Mm -hmm. Anything you do, you're going to have to put some sort of money into it. So even I think when they're talking about no money down, they're talking about the, um, the wholesaling process. Mm -hmm. So even when you're wholesaling real estate, you still have to have, you have still have to have money to get leads. So get leads is to actually cold call a person to see if you can offer them maybe 200,000 for the property and wholesale it off like 210,000. But you have to have some sort of revenue because you might have to pay for like a VA, which is a virtual assistant. Mm -hmm. You have to have to pay for the phone lines, which you have to, you know, call them out. You have to have the, the certain like CRM systems in order to, to put all the data into this. So you have to come to the table with some sort of money in order to right. yeah, in order to do real estate. So it's almost like what you put into any situations, I believe, is what you're going to get out of it. Sure. I see a lot of books on your wall. Um, you're not allowed to say rich dad, poor dad for obvious reasons. I'm just tired of hearing that as the answer, default answer every time. But what is one book? that you would recommend everybody checking out? Um, you said one book I would recommend everybody checking out, and I would just say pretty much that book, Traction. It's, it's a pretty great book. Go ahead and check it out. And um, you said we can't say Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's funny because I think I was at a conference that um, Robert Kiyosaki did in Vegas not too long ago, and he's, <laughs> he's a great guy. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like if I leave it open-ended like that, it's it's almost, if you ever watched Wayne's World, it's it's like you're not allowed to play Stairway in, to Heaven in the in the music store. You're, uh, you just, you're just not allowed to say that anymore. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, I know because you're looking at it like it's a cheat code. It's like, okay, I'm asking a question. I know everybody's going to give me the same answer. So hold up. Let me say, look, you can't say that right here. You have to say this right here. Let's see what you really like. Don't go with what yeah. all the people want you to say. <laughs> yeah, I and, and you're absolutely right. Traction's a great book. In fact, if you're looking to scale at all, I, I strongly recommend everybody just start there first. It's there's a lot of information in there and you may not be able to implement it all at once, but there's definitely an approach in that book that's well worth your time. What is the best piece of business advice you ever received? Man, so the best piece of advice I ever received is 
any business that you get into, you always want to look at it as if you can scale that business. Any business that you get into, you want to look at it as you can like, how can I be able to if you not even if you didn't want to, but you can be able to package that business up and sell it off one day. And that was right. and that was great information right there. So every time I go into any new journey or new business venture, I'm always looking at how I can scale this up, how I can package it and sell it off one day. Even if I didn't want to do it, I just want to still know that I can do it. <laughs> right. Right. I think that's really interesting that that and that's something that's really telling because I think a lot of people we talk about building generational wealth, but frankly, there's nothing that's going to say that my kids are going to want to deal with real estate investing and being able to do exactly what you said, having it set up so that they could eventually sell it if they wanted to. It probably would serve everybody really well. Yeah, and that's cool. And it's funny you said generational building because I actually am working on my podcast right now. It's called the Legacy Builder. So you guys will be on the um, on the lookout for that right there because actually going to be talking about building a generational wealth and all that great stuff as well. Oh, You're a awesome. great guy, Jack. I appreciate you. Yeah, I was gonna. I'm looking forward to that. I'll, I'll definitely be one to, to tune in. So, what is the biggest real estate investing mistake that you've made, and what did you learn from it? So the biggest real estate investing mistake that I've made, like I said, was when I got into real estate investing and I tried to do everything kind of like on my own and I was running to Home Depot and running to Lowe's and said, okay, I can kind of be my own general contractor and I can do this thing. I can run this ship on my own. It's like, as I was trying to run the ship, the guys are running circles around me. So that's why I learned out of it. So, you know, that was like one of the biggest mistakes that I, you know, that I've done thus far. And I think you said, you said, what did I learn out of it or, or, what, mm -hmm. or what, what did I do better? Okay. And I learned from it is to, to get a mentor. <laughs> so get somebody who's already been in that space before me and somebody who's already dominated that space, whereas though they can actually stop me from making those mistakes that I made before pretty much. So you can't do one man can't do everything on his own. Pretty much, you need a great team in order to um in order to strive out here. Yeah, I, Dana, I can't I can't stress this enough. And and when you you mentioned earlier, it reminded me I I, I do these Tip Tuesdays on the show, mm -hmm. and I recently had a bit of a rant where I talked about how you need to do a little math. Let's say you're you're talking about. You, you set a goal associated with how much you want to make in real estate investing. And I don't think a lot of people or enough people do this. Let's say you want to make a hundred thousand or 200,000 or even $500,000 a year. You need to calculate that with that goal in mind, that dictates how much your time is worth per hour. So you should do that quick calculation. And let's say you're, you're, you decide you're going to be making $250,000 a year you're, you've just defined your value at $120 an hour right there. Running to Home Depot and doing some of these tasks, is that worth $120 an hour? And frankly, you need to see your time in that light, in that value. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, and that's a perfect point right there because like you said, and that's why I had to kind of um, scale up and then take myself out of running back to Home Depot and running back to Lowe's and all that good stuff pretty much. And then like you said, you got to also look at like the contingencies and things of that nature when you're looking at, you know, making a 250000 to the 500000 you got to look at, you know, all that because, you know, even when you're doing a fix and flip. So on paper, a fix and flip, you know, you might get a property for like 200000 You might put like, 
a hundred fifty thousand, and so it's like three fifty. You might sell it for like five hundred thousand and say, "Oh wow, I made a hundred and fifty, but you actually didn't make a hundred and fifty because you that's your gross, but you gotta look at the net. So you know you gotta look at the the realtor portion, you know what the realtor made, and then you gotta look at you know what you paid the private money lenders like every month and all that type of stuff, pretty much. So you gotta mm -hmm. like do your do a P and L for each and every property and every project that you have, and actually look and see what your true net is. Like you said, I believe that time is going by so fast. So the more that you can take yourself out of the everyday hustle and bustle of the business and replace yourself, the better off you'll be um, in the long run. Yeah. And, you know, this is something that's I got to give you a lot of credit, Dana, uh, on this is that I've been trying to develop this concept recently and I, I don't know how to how to word it. And it's it's been it's been a, a bit of a struggle. But, you know, we we've, we've heard more and more about people doing cryptocurrencies and crypto mining. Mm -hmm. What I what I thought the concept that I've been trying to broach or trying to get my mind wrapped around is that a successful entrepreneur and successful real estate investor, we're doing time mining. We're, we're mining other people's time in order to get some of these things done. Um, and I think you're really doing a great job at that, especially with your, the way you're handling your project managers and everything. That's it's, it's really a great way to mine time. Thanks, Jack. I appreciate that. <laughs> like I said, man, um, like, like I said, I've been helping all guys right now pretty much. And I, I owe it all to my mentor because like I said, I actually paid myself forward and he actually, it took a while for me to learn that, but he just kept instilling it in me. Yeah, <laughs> so that's awesome. That, you know, I learned from him. I'm just willing to also give that knowledge out and help another person out pretty much. So another question I'd have is if you could go back into time and give yourself your younger self, one piece of advice, what would it be? If I can go back in time and give myself scale up. So any business that you get into, <laughs> don't get into that business with the only get into that business with the one model. How can I package this business and be able to sell this business off? Not that you want to sell a business off, but if you if need be that you could do that right there. That means that you have a plug and play business, whereas though a 10 year old can come in and run your system. So that's how I look at it pretty much. Sure. Well, again, it's DanaTJones.com. I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes, especially with all the corresponding links. But Dana, is there a question or concept you wished we would have covered here today? A question or concept? Let me see. I mean, you went over a lot of you went over a lot of key points into the real estate world, pretty much. So, I mean, let me see, Jack. A question? No, we touched on private money lending. You know what? I don't. I don't think you touched on the bird method. So sure. I don't think you asked a question about that right there. And the bird method. Um, it's called the Burr method. And that's what actually allowed me to move to California because when I was living, when I was living in Baltimore, you know, that's like 3000 miles away. The only way I was able to move over here is I had a real estate portfolio. So I would buy like a lot of properties and then, you know, I would rent them out. So being as though I was able to, you know, buy a property, you know, renovate the property, renovate the property, uh, rent the property out and then refinance the and then refinance the property. I felt as I was like doing like building blocks. So I would start off with one house right there. I would put a tenant in there. I'll let the tenant pay the mortgage and I would actually get, you know, I would get like the um like to get the spread. <laughs> what some people say is the spread. Mm -hmm. So for example, if my mortgage is like a thousand bucks and the tenant is paying me like eighteen hundred, then I'm getting like eight eight hundred dollars cash flow in that property right there. So I would do that right then. I would re repeat the same method. So I would utilize that. I would refinance refinance on that property take 75 percent of my equity out and buy another property so now i had one property paying me eight hundred dollars a month but now once i got the second property now eight plus eight is sixteen hundred so now i'm getting sixteen hundred dollars a month 
I would do the same thing, put a tenant in there. Then I would just get my third property. So you figure eight times three is $2,400 a month. Mm -hmm. I just start stacking them like Legos and things of that nature. So that is what gave me the ability to move from Baltimore to California because I had that cash flow coming in from my rental properties over there in Baltimore. So I think that's one thing we didn't touch on. Yeah. And when, when you're in that process and you're building those Legos, did you find that that first one was the hardest brick to get in place, but then eventually as you're adding more and more bricks, it just seems to go at a, at a greater acceleration. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It goes a little faster and then it's almost like, it's like plug and play. And then one thing about real estate is you pretty much have to have, you know, you have to stack them like Legos to have like a lot of properties because you figure if you only have like one or two homes and then say, for instance, the hot water heater goes up or the HVAC system goes up, that's going to cost you like 5000 If you're only getting $800 a month, by the time you pay that $5,000 for the HVAC system, it's like you kind of borrow with your own money. But if you have like 10 properties and you're making like 8000 a month and then you have to pay that 5000 you still cash flow $3,000. Hmm. So yeah, that did. And the first one is always kind of like the hardest because you got to kind of like you kind of kind of like figure it out so once you figure it out you know it's like a movie to me it seemed like the first movie is always the best movie <laughs> because it's the one that has to right. grab your attention is the one that has to take you and say wow i really love this series and then once you love that series you're going to come back for the second one so that's how i can look at real so, estate as well so unless it's the matrix then it kind of falls off the cliff it takes you all over the place like i love all <laughs> so well dana i really appreciate it this was a great conversation i hope you come back sometime Again, it's DanaTJones.com. Yes, DanaTJones.com. Thanks, Jack. You're a great guy. I'll be back. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thanks. You enjoy. Peace. If you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing, if so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.